welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode... Like, I am a service sub. I want to please. It's like, I want to do that. I want to be someone that the community can go to and rely on. And, I mean... It also intersects with the fact that I have a boot fetish. I like to see men in boots. It is having a community and a structure around you that affirms you and says you are okay. This is masterslavelifestyle.com. Hello everyone. So I first met Craig at the Leather Social in London and it was my first experience of seeing someone boot blacking. Since then we still cross paths and find each other in Twitter, podcasts, Patreon and now in this podcast. So it's my genuine pleasure to welcome Craig. Welcome, Craig. Hello, welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. So as a first question, could I ask you to introduce yourself? So uh, my name is Craig, or also to those who know me online, Boot Black Cub. Uh, I'm a Boot Black, uh, currently stationed in London. Um, I've been on the scene, oh God, too long now, about 21 years. Is since I was 18. Um, and yeah, I primarily work as a boot plaque for the London Leather Social. And I'm currently one of the originating members of the uh, UK Boot Black Association. So for people that don't know, can you explain what boot blacking is? So boot blacking is essentially a role in the leather community. It's primarily been in the States. We've not really had the culture of it over here. But it's a role and station in a leather community where you essentially, well, first and foremost, uh, shine boots at club events, but also take care, manage and repair leathers for people around the community. I never realized about the leather bit. So you actually repair oh, yeah. leather as well. Yeah, yeah. We So generally speaking, boot blacks do restoration work. We do... Uh, prepping for uh, events um yeah we do a whole range of things uh, wow yes in fact i know uh for my friend toko who's another boot black on the london scene he was we essentially joked he was a boot black by royal appointment for the mr 2019 uk leather um basically because he did his leathers for the contestant before every event to make sure they look their best. Okay. So uh, you are the person to come to if I have some leather that I need rechanged, you can advise me or help me on that. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is the point. Really good to know. <laughs> like for like RPG nerds, I joke we're the support class of the leather community. So um be be before we go deeper into the boot blacking, I, I also just wanna um ask what title you give yourself so so before we started the interview um you were saying that you identify as a boy so could you explain what that that means um for you so i actually always struggle with this question uh, i've come up with some ideas but honestly mostly it's instinctual uh the when people like have referred to me as slave in the past it's not sat right in my head and I've just always felt inclined to consider myself a boy. It's instinctual that that term, that title fits me. Um, in sort of what I've picked through, it's mostly because I tend to go, I think, for the style of submission I'm looking for tends to be soft doms. That's understood. Uh, so I go for like daddies and sort of more caretaker doms um, now obviously this isn't a hard rule there are plenty of slave owning masters who have that style of dominance um, i've had the joy of recently getting to know one um, nice yes uh, and for him i am quite happy to call myself a slave because i feel i fit with him in that way okay so so also depending on and the person as well then your your feeling about what what your title is might change yeah yeah very much so as i say most of this is driven by instinct it's just i feel um the kind of submission i'm looking for is boy shaped 
shall we say. So if we, we dive a bit deeper into that, so you mentioned, let's say, boy-shaped, um, soft DOM. So to me, in my mind, that comes that you don't want someone that's giving you pain or is brutal and is more caring. Is this a good assumption I'm making or, or oh, would yes. you change that? No, no, very much so. It's sort of I go essentially for much uh, sort of mentorship, nurturing kind of dominance. A lot of people used to assume I'd be a puppy. Now, I'm very much not into puppy play or the puppy scene, but that sort of softer end of submission is kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, the phrase I've seen uh, recently f uh, from getting to know people in the straight and pan kink communities is I have a praise kink, essentially. A praise kink? I haven't heard this term before. Well, no, and it, it surprises me. I, in all my time in the gay male leather community, I've never come across this term, but it's very popular in the straight one. So could you explain a bit what, what this is and, and what it means, please? So your primary motivator and need is for positive encouragement. So, for example, say you're going through a spanking scene. Yes. Your primary drive would be your dom encouraging you, saying things like, you know, do it for me. You are making me so proud taking this pain or taking my dick, like sort of using positive encouragement uh, to affirm and drive domination. That makes sense. Is, there's just something I'm finding really strange here, which is that I actually sometimes think this is the way that successful mastery also is. Um, I was actually interviewing someone yesterday for a podcast episode, and they were saying how it's very easy to sort of make someone feel small. You know, it's very easy yeah. to cut someone down, especially when they're happy. And actually, the harder thing and what a master needs to do is to grow and encourage and almost coach the slave or boy to be where they want them to be. Yeah, very much so. And I think this is one of the things where this is why terms are quite fuzzy. Yes. Because, yeah, for a good master, they will be able to do that, even if their primarily dominant style is initially quite tough or hard it, it's strange because it reminds me of of my ex-master who I moved here for Berlin for and when I first came across his profile I was actually quite scared about reaching out to him you know and it took me a while it was probably months to a year or something <laughs> you know but one of the things I really liked about him was that he wanted to do this very deep control mind control mm -hmm. you know but it was in a very encouraging way Ev everything was just a pleasure and a positive to kind yeah. of go down and do more mm -hmm. pervert more <laughs> yeah. no i mean that can be a very powerful thing just like a positive feedback loop for being a for pushing yourself for a dom is incredibly powerful and for few, this is this is one of the prime primary things that you're looking for when you oh, yeah. wanna yeah. you wanna serve a dom. Like I want to be told I'm a good boy. That's what I'm looking for. Do you want do you want to be told that when you're not being good as well? <laughs> no, no, no. This is something important, which is I I need to know it's genuine. This isn't what's that phrase? Uh, participation trophy. I need to know I've earned it. So I need the praise to be genuine. I need to show my worth to a dom and just receive that affirmation for the praise and hard work I'm putting in. Okay, so it's definitely, the, it's a genuine thing that you're looking for. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I am a service sub. I want to please. And I just need to know that I am pleasing, if that works. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And um, kind of coming a bit back to the boot blacking as well now. Mm -hmm. So you kind of said that you're a servicer when you want to please. Yeah. So is this where the the boot blacking has come from, or or, or did it have an original, um, a different source for you? Uh, very much so. I've always been very service orientated. I've always wanted to please, and so. I first came across boot blacking from a podcast. Uh, it was the Darts Domain podcast. 
and he was in and Serdar was interviewing um uh, Mr. Boot Black IML contestants. Oh yes. And they talked about acting as a service to the community and duty to community and that just really struck a chord within me. It's like I want to do that. I want to be someone that the community can go to and rely on. And I mean, it also intersects with the fact that I have a boot fetish. I like to see (laughs) men in boots. I like to worship men in boots. So being down at someone's feet and um, doing an act of service, cleaning their boots, washing them, um, speaks to both parts of me, both my community-oriented mind and also my submissive mind. And the thing which I really get from from this is, is that the service for the community. So, would would you say service to the community is one of the big things that differentiates you from a slave that say that just wants to service one person? I think so. Yes. Yeah, boot blacks. Because um, it for a lot of boot blacks, the driver isn't always primarily a sexual thrill. Essentially, it is um, helping people out on a wider scale. And a lot of boot blacks will be there because they want to be known for helping people, uh, for again, repairing their leathers, for. Um... It's quite hard to describe. It, it's basically wanting to be a resource for the community. And and why is that so important for you in particular? Uh, for me, it's to give back. I've always felt very loved and appreciated by the community. I have met amazing people through um, these circles, through these structures and institutions we have. Um, and I've always felt incredibly grateful for having that. Um, I actually look around and a lot of people who like are outside both the leather community and queer community and everyone seems very atomized. Like they really struggle to get a sense of wider connection beyond maybe immediate friends. And I've recognized and feel incredibly thankful that I've had a sense of community built around me. And and what does that, let's say, sense of connection or community give to people? So, you know, we have this people who are um, atomized and then people that do have, let's say, a community. What mm. is the difference there? Why, why is that so important? Uh, well, for, primarily it's a sense of support. Uh, I know if I ever get into trouble, I have the community support. And this has happened. So I lost my entire boot blacking kit. Nothing nasty. My own, um, it was a long day and I basically left it on the train in a bit of a fugue. Oh, no. Which, you know, my own fault. I felt bad. I was silly. Um, and people just said, look, I know how expensive a boot blacking kit to put can be to put together. I'll help donate to it. And I got this again and again and again from people from like the leather social and at that point i realized like i have support around me i have this incredible support structure from a community and i in turn want to give back to that i want to be support for other people because you know we as queer people like you know if we don't support each other who's going to support us Yes, it, I, I kind of think back to my, I think it was my second year in, in Berlin and someone was rushed into hospital with um, blood poisoning, mm. you know, and so I was getting some very delirious messages and my work couldn't understand why it was me rushing to hospital to check on them. And I was just like, no, but in this community, we need to look after each yeah. other. Yeah. And I was like, in, in this case, I was like, this person doesn't have family. I am the family. Yeah. You know, and I, I think because I was going on holiday the next day, I was like, I need, I need to marshal the rest of the family, the rest of the community to yeah. come and, and support because I'm not going to be here. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, we have a network we can rely on. And I, 
it's strange like for me it's taken me a number of years to kind of get there and do mm-hmm. that like the master slave website and podcast i think it's my big expression of suddenly wanting to do something for the community but that took me about 20 years maybe 15 mm. and so i'm i'm really respectful of you getting there so young you know i think that's something that should really be celebrated and then rewarded that 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 was something you you did you know very soon after entering the scene so you know thank you from me and i, I just want to recognize oh. that with you. <laughs> thank you oh you're making me tear up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it it helped that I had good role models going in. I had good examples that show this is what the community could be like. And again, I wanted to replicate that and mentor people and help people in the way I could. And could you um, give a, a definition of what makes a good role model on them? The um, the let's say the master slave or or BDSM scene? Um, A good role model, let's see. Uh, Understanding and patience are definitely necessary because you do have to have patience for people that are growing and learning. And it's not always easy (laughs) to coach someone through the mistakes younger people make. And I say that as someone who has made mistakes, it's... Um, are willing to impart knowledge, um, are willing to be fair. And it's all also uh, someone who models the behavior they want to see. It's like who is always the person that stands up and offers to help or reaches out a hand or brings up issues in the community, challenges uh, people and stigmas. I think that's a really good kind of um, summary of what can help create a healthy community. Yeah, it's because the thing is, communities can become insular and they can get stuck in their ways. Um, I've definitely noticed the London leather scene is currently going through a large transformation after being very stagnant for a long time. And it's taken new people with new blood and ideas to come in and really push for things to change. That's really interesting. Um, the last time I was actually at the hoist before I moved to Berlin, that was when SM Gaze and um, the London Leather kind of got together for a night, you know, and it was one of the busiest I think I'd seen the hoist other than out of one of the, you know, the big weekends kind yeah. of thing. Oh, yeah, this is the thing. Like, I'm so grateful that the London Leather Social started up, which was kind of an accident the way I understand it. It was basically just leather men started to get together on in the pub um, every first Sunday and it sort of became an institution. And that really got people talking and it, it created an open, nice space for newcomers to come in, which has been so important, really. Like it was it was the one thing I, I like when, when I used to do the London Leather Social. Um, so 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 for people who don't know, there's a pub in London called Compton's, and Leather Social was normally on on the top floor. And so what it meant was people who were curious might be on um, the bottom floor. And as um, the night went on and they'd had a few more drinks, they might then wander mm-hmm. up to see what was there. You know, and, you know, you ended up getting a really nice vibe sometimes of people coming into quite a welcoming social oh, yeah. atmosphere, which which wasn't as sexual as, let's say, a club can be. No, it, it's definitely a different feeling, which I feel helped. Like, as, as important as it is to have hard, like, um, kink and leather clubs um, that are primarily there for sexual expression, that can also make it very hard for newcomers to come into the scene because there are a lot of barriers. Leather is expensive. Um, it can be very intimidating going into these sexualized spaces. And the leather social basically opened up so people can connect socially first. They can get into a group of friends who are leathermen. They can go, if even if they don't have any leather, to these events. It's, not, it's uniform advised, not uniform enforced. And it just basically created the space to allow new people to come into the scene. That's really nice. Like, 
As we're talking, I suppose in some ways we are already talking about two communities. So I'm catering more for master slave, mm -hmm. but we're also talking about the leather community. Do you see that there's an issue sometimes that we can be too too um, tribal and we need to open up, or are we already doing that enough? Um, this is a difficult question because. Um, I think people are starting to realize you can't have a fully open group to preserve a sense of character, a sense of purpose. Um, sometimes a little bit of exclusion is necessary, but you also have to be very discerning about how, what criteria you exclude people on. And it's very important to allow people to have the space to experiment. Like I will never um, talk down someone wearing a jock and a harness because some people may be doing it just for fashion. Other people, that may be them dipping their toe and that will grow into something more, more fully leather in time. Yes. If that makes sense. And it's just about creating these spaces where people can sort of dip their toes in and try things without fully committing. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I remember once serving a master in France and he actually owned um, like a, a sex club there and there was a young probably 20 year old 21 one year old mm -hmm. that was coming in to DJ on the Friday or Saturday night and they were wearing makeup and stuff as well and he kind of said to me after the night he was like I'll oh, give him another six months and he will be coming in some sort of gear it's like, nice. you know, he was, he was petrified yeah. to come in at first. Then he asked me if he could do music because that's how he can feel com com comfortable and it will move into, you know, he will, he will become part of the scene, you know, and because I think he, he worked at, at, at a club that had quite a community there. He'd seen it happen before, you know, many times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just think it's so important to be able to present a welcoming face. Yes. That, 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 that is the big thing. Cause you know, leather men, the whole point is to kind of look intimidating to look big and hyper masculine and dominant and scary. Cause scary can be fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's also important just to just keep a space where that gets turned off and you can be actually, no, I'm a nice guy. Come talk to us. And if anyone is feeling a little scared, there's nothing better than licking that person's boots and then looking up at them. <laughs> oh yes. That is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so coming a, a bit back to the boot blacking again. So, um, could you tell me a bit about, so is there something you're supposed to do? Is there a way you're supposed to interact when you meet a boot blacker? You know, what is the process that kind of happens? Uh, so first and foremost, uh, treat us as service workers, not submissives. Uh, so essentially treat us how you treat the barman. Uh, I've had guys who come in and assume that because they are in my chair and I'm servicing them, they are acting as my dominant, which is not the case. And you, I even know like dominant uh, people who do boot blacking. Um, if a boot black likes you and wants to, they will heavily flirt with you and let you know it's okay to dominate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First and foremost, treat us as service workers. Um, yeah. In when in our chairs, uh, it's great to be chatty. Um, Never, never, never apologize for the state of your boots. Everyone does. And I'm like, don't, don't apologize for your boots being dirty. Tell me how they got dirty. I want to know. <laughs> I, mean, I have heard some amazing stories from guys in my chair. My favorite one was a guy with a genuine motorcycle, American motorcycle cop chipper was. And he got them um, because he stole them off a police officer after giving them a blowjob out on the road. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I loved that one. <laughs> yeah, so essentially, don't assume we're submissive at first. Uh, we are there to give you a good time. We are there to give you service, and we love to do it. Just open communication, chat with us. We love it. 
Okay, cool. And and should you tip or pay any money afterwards? Are you know this is a big thing in the US. So yeah, uh, please if you can, uh, please please tip. So boot, most boot blacking is voluntary, but as I mentioned a little bit ago, the kit is expensive. Um, getting in the right conditioners, oils, unguents, essentially consumables. Um, like sort of cloths, it actually builds up to quite a price tag. And so we ask people to tip um, to offset that. I also know a lot of younger people who boot black as part of the way they can afford um, to go to events. Essentially, they don't have the money at the time to travel to events. uh, So they essentially use boot blacking to pay their way. I know a friend of mine did it for the last Manchester Leathermen. Uh, he didn't have the money to cover it um, up front. So he essentially used boot blacking at the events around Manchester Leathermen to pay for it. Wow. And this is important. So it is like, um, it's very important because uh, it really helps people out and it allows us to do what we're doing. That being said, there is a reason we ask for tips instead of charging. It's because our service should be for everyone. If you are not in a position to tip, um, just say. Because, you know, I've been in a financially bad way before and I know how treats and pampering yourself can be very important because they're very rare when you don't have the money for it. Like, I will never turn someone away from my chair. I'll be, that's fine, sit, let me pamper you for a bit. It's, uh, so yeah, just... Like, so tipping is highly encouraged, um, but we understand if you can't. Okay, that makes good sense. And I, I think it's also worth saying is that you use far more different things on boots than the normal layperson would. Like, yeah. I, I remember years ago asking you what all of the things were in your um, package because there was so much. <laughs> oh yeah, we carry around basically mini apothecaries. It's we've got oils, uh, conditioners, tanners, um, the different types of polish for different types of boots, soft leather, hard leather, different colored leather. Um, and a lot of these aren't the polishes you'd pick up in like the supermarkets. Uh, most boot blacks try and go for good stuff, stuff that doesn't have silicone in them stuff that will be hard wearing on the leather. And most of these have to be ordered in. So there's a lot of effort behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It it gets pricey fast. <laughs> that is, if anyone's considering being a boot black, it will take you time to build up a decent um, boot blacking kit. Are there, are there any resources or places you could recommend people to 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 go to if, if they're interested in in going down this path? Uh, well, it depends where they're located. America has quite a big thriving bootback community, uh, so look for your local bootback club, club chapters. Uh, there probably will be one near you. Uh, in the UK, we are currently in the midst of forming the uh, UK Boot Black Association, which will be essentially our version of that. And our members are perfectly happy to teach anyone who asks. I've had people come up to me at the Leather Social, ask, how do you do that? And I'm like, I will show you. Um, I will take you through it step by step. Um, I really want to mentor people. I think it's a great skill to learn and I'm happy to teach anyone that wants to know. And most boot blacks are. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the uh, UK Boot Black Association, uh, currently we have a uh, Twitter people can go to. We're going to get a website up and running soon. Very cool. And um, we'll put the links for that in the show notes. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, there's also books. Uh, obviously, I had to mostly self-teach um, when I was younger because we didn't really have the resources we had now. And there were two books which are brilliant, which is, uh, let me just look up the name, uh, Boot Blacking 101, a handbook by Andrew McDermott. And the other one is Beyond Boot Blacking by Daddy Wendell. Both of these are regularly available um, at Amazon and other book distributors. They're still going around in print. Um, and yeah, they are great resources which will teach you everything you need to know. 
Okay, thank you. And I, I think the other thing is that it can also be a lot of work. Like I remember going to IML and I think there was four to six boot blackers that were there and they worked nonstop throughout the entire thing during the day. It was quite incredible. Oh, yeah. It is physically exhausting. Um, it takes a lot of elbow grease to put a mirror shine on boots, uh, especially if you're doing it uh, there and then in the chair, just one after another. It's murder on your back, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, you suffer for your masters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is very physically engaging and great cardio. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to burn a, f- a few calories as mm-hmm. well, boot blacking's a good way to do it. Oh, yes. Both calories and water weight because you sweat when you're doing it. <laughs> so, and you, you you said you've been been doing this for almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. So so what has changed for you on this, this journey? So from when you started to now, what are the sorts of things that have changed or grown from from this experience? Well, that people in the UK actually now know what boot blacks are. <laughs> wow. When when I started, there was no culture in the UK for it. Um, so, And I had to literally explain when I started the Leather Social what I was doing. And no, you don't have to pay me. And I am here to do it for everyone. And the knowledge grew. And I actually met other people interested in it. And f- for like two, three years, I was doing it alone. And then... Wow. Other people started learning, coming out the woodwork, woodworks. Um, yeah, and suddenly this culture has grown, which I'm so pleased to see. So you went from a community of one to a community of many. Yeah, over, yeah. It has been fantastic to see. And what about for yourself personally? You know, have you had any changes or insights as you've been doing this? interesting question i the main thing i think as i said before is just uh how rewarding it can be it i have made connections through this to people i am so thankful for and it has shown me that if you put in the time and effort um it will be returned to you that sounds very very Mm -hmm. wise so what you put in you will get back and maybe more oh yeah definitely so yeah because it it takes time to grow things and i think people patience will help like it you won't always get things back immediately Uh, as i said i did this for many years alone and it was just sort of i was the guy in the corner that polished boots and now now after a long time it became a uh, known community, known element of the wider kink community. And just have patience when you're trying to build something. It will take time, but it will yeah. get there. Yeah. And ultimately, I think if you see something that isn't a need in the community that isn't being fulfilled, uh, that isn't uh, being looked at, um, it's on you to change that. It's all very well saying someone else, uh, someone needs to do something. That someone has to be you. I think that's a really good point. Um, About three, four years ago, I had this epiphany for myself. It's like, you're probably one of the best placed people to start writing about master and slave and Mm -hmm. the issues behind it. And I just rebelled against it. And it took me another year before I became comfortable with the fact I was probably the person that was going to um, do this, you know. And But actually in doing it, I've had a lot of joy. Yeah, and you do a brilliant job, I have to say. Like uh, your podcast and your articles, I found so enlightening. As someone who's not really part of that master-slave dynamic having you explain it and explore it has opened up a world to me. It really has. Thank you. Really nice to hear that. Thank you. So, and um, 
I think you've already answered this question, but I just want to check to see if anything else comes out. So how would you relate boot blacking to slavery or submission? So it's very obviously an act of dedication and service and love. And to do it, obviously, I do it in public as essentially a community service. I also do it in private, and that is a much more intimate affair. It's um, much more loving, involves my tongue a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) And it can just be a way to show love and devotion. I mean, obviously, there's sort of the power differential inherent in it where you are down at your master's or sir's or dom's feet. And you're working, putting in that, as we've discussed, a lot of effort, sweat, um, time. Um, your back hurts when you're doing it, if you're down in that position for a while. And you power through it for your sir. You are doing it to pamper your sir, to serve your sir. That really resonates with me. And and has boot blacking allowed you to become more submissive or to explore different aspects of submission? Oh, definitely. Especially, um, especially going and learning beyond just the boots and the other elements of leather care. Like, um, it's an act of devotion to a master to ensure that his leathers and his outfit is in the best shape because uh, I can help him present the best to the world. And it's sort of a visible symbol of my time and devotion to him. And how have masses reacted to this? Uh, They're always very enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) How cool. Yeah, it is. And so um, we've been speaking about community a lot. And this is a question I ask most of the people in the podcast. Um, What would you like to see changed in the community so you normally say the master slave community but in this case i'd say just in the fetish community what what else would you like to see or what would you like to see changed um from the elements of the community i see i would like to see from the uk perspective more emphasis on mentorship um so we as gay men, we were stripped of a whole generation of men before us who could have given us um, mentorship and their knowledge and, you know, just the intelligence and wisdom that comes with age. We had that stripped away from us. And now, um, you know, my generation sort of millennials are coming into this older role and I think we need to really put time and effort and thought into mentorship, passing on our community history, passing on our knowledge, um, helping to guide new people coming into this community, not just welcoming them, but actively guiding them, helping them, making sure they're making good decisions, making sure they know the history of our community, like where we came from, the struggles we faced, um, I really want to make sure this happens going forward. And it's personally part of why I really am putting a lot of time into the UK Boot Black Association, because I want that to be a vehicle for mem- mentorship. If, if there's one action any person could do to help make this happen, what would that action be? Uh, take it on yourself to mentor a younger person. Just say, I'm going to be here for you if you need me. I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to give you my experiences. Again, it's um, obviously like setting up clubs and infrastructure is all great, but you just as an individual, when you see the opportunity to take it. Um, something else has been coming up for me as, as, we've, as we've been talking mm-hmm. about this. Um, I recently wrote an article about shame and mm-hmm. one of the things in the article is that when you have shame and you deal with it in isolation, it can grow exponentially. Mm-hmm. But when you deal with it with love and empathy, it will go. And that kind of isolation 
to live in empathy i often think part of the missing ingredient is the community and the support or as you've put it the mentorship yeah totally it it is having a community and a structure around you that affirms you and says you are okay you have nothing to be ashamed about and we will love and accept you for you is so important yes i really agree with that so um coming on to the last two questions so what makes a good boy or what makes a good slave <laughs> uh what makes a good boy um an eagerness to try uh to try and so this is always difficult uh to try and push yourself it's Obviously, everyone has limits and there are hard limits, but it's also important to be willing to try new things and um, to be willing to put in the time for your dom. I think that is the most primary thing. Uh, Obviously, there's good communication skills and being able to state your needs clearly. I think that's a very powerful thing. Um. I think also with boys um, or subs or any sort of submissive is um, a willingness uh, to be open about uh, where you feel lacking or where you can't work and to open up that vulnerability to the dom. Yes, that makes lots of sense. It, It can be very hard to let go of this idea that we need to please and... Whilst obviously naturally we put the dom before ourselves, that doesn't mean our needs are unimportant. Yeah, I've I've kind of sometimes found this that you should be enjoying yourself. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and, and and it doesn't have to be. I only enjoy myself if and we do what 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 we want. It's like no, I'm actually really enjoying giving this other person pleasure. But yes. if um, you're not actually getting any pleasure or happiness from what you're doing, mm-hmm. should you be doing it? Yeah, so there's a good structure, I feel, for this, which is what my master goes by, which is in the hierarchy of needs, the sub's needs come first, then the master's needs, then the master's wants, and then finally at the bottom is the sub wants. Ah, interesting. And so you go through them in that order, and that means everyone gets what they need, and everyone kind of gets what they want. Yeah. That, that I really like that model. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's very impressive. <laughs> cool. And then, what makes a good master? Hmm. A good master: um, patience, uh, willingness to listen, um, a curiosity about um, how their boys or subs work. Actually going in and finding out what um, drives and motivates uh, an individual sub can be a powerful thing. And in the tools of a good, in the hands of a good master, that is an incredible tool. And you can get more out of your subs, slaves, or boys than anything else if you just know what makes them tick. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I would second that. Yes. And, and one extra question: What makes a good boot black? Um, effort and a desire to learn. Very nice. Yes. So we're coming up to the end of the interview. Is there anything we haven't spoken about that you'd like to? Um, not that I can think of. Cool. Well, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your contribution, you know, for one, creating an actual new community in the UK around boot blacking, but also just for this idea of wanting to serve the community. And I just want to really recognize that and thank you for what you've done. No, it's been brilliant to be on your show. I've had a fantastic time. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the day. If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. 
You can now support the podcast, website, and Master Slave community through Patreon membership. Receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops, and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the Master Slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening.